Well, good morning and welcome to the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ website here at godsredeemed.org. Thank you for being a part of our worship services today as we are engaged in the study of God's Word. And I invite you to open your Bibles to two key passages that we will use today, both in the New Testament. One is Philippians chapter 3 and the other is Luke chapter 9. And I'd like to talk today about not going back, not looking back, not looking back to the past and our failures and our regrets, but rather looking forward to the good things that are in store for us in service to our Lord. I want to start with a very brief reading from Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, and I want to read through the next three or four verses and then come back and highlight a point or two. But in chapter 3 in verse 12, Paul writes, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love that passage for a number of reasons, but this is a very optimistic letter that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, to the saints in the first century. And I love the phrases that he uses where in verse 13 he says, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but rather the thing that I do is I forget the things in the past and I reach forward to the things which are ahead. Now there's probably a dual meaning to this particular passage. Some have suggested that what Paul is talking about here is that I forget the past successes. And that's probably true because he doesn't want to rest on his laurels and allow himself to get drawn into a place of complacency, but rather to keep himself working toward the future. But there's a second meaning or potential meaning of the text there, and that is to appreciate that Paul had a lot of regrets in his life, things that he would maybe look back on. And when he lingered on the regrets and the past errors of his life, those were things that he didn't want to think about. And so he says, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. And then in verse 14, he says, I press or I move toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I am focused on the future. And that's something that we need to be focused on as well. Regardless of our past regrets, regardless of our past errors, we look forward to the future. The second passage that I want us to consider here for just a moment or two is in Luke chapter 9. And I want to read a couple of verses starting in Luke chapter 9 at about verse 40, I'm sorry, 57 and 58. This is where Jesus is talking about the cost of being a follower of his. And it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said, presumably someone that was willing to serve Jesus or had said he was willing to serve Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus responded by saying, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And this is where Jesus famously says, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And then Jesus says in the text here in verse 62, where I really want us to focus our study this morning, is no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so if you take Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, and Luke chapter 9, primarily verse 62, and kind of mesh them together, you get the message that comes from the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago that we are not to be backward-looking individuals. Remember that Luke records for us that brief phrase, remember Lot's wife. She looked back to the past, maybe lingered on the previous uh, successes of her life, or perhaps looked at the life that she once lived and, of course, violated God's command and was turned into a pillar of salt. These two passages tell us to forget the past and focus on the future for the kingdom of God. And I believe that these passages are helpful for all individuals who are going through tough times or who have regrets. And I'm confident that that includes you. You may be going through a difficult time because of what's going on in the country, or maybe something personally that's going on in your family's life, or it may be that you have some regrets over things that you've done in the past. All of us have those regrets. And I would also argue that the Bible is filled with lots of men who went through tough times, who had their regrets. We have, of course, Paul, who's the author of half the New Testament. But let me just share with you three uh, individuals that we sometimes don't think about as being individuals who were despairing of their lives and maybe wanted to forget their past. In Acts chapter 16, we are introduced to a man who never has a name, at least in the Bible. We just know him as the prison guard or as the Philippian jailer. And you remember that there in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Now I want you to notice verse 27, and I want us to make an observation about verse 27. It says, The keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, what is it that he was ready to do? He was drawing his sword, and he was about to kill himself. Here was a man that was going through something that was so distressing that he was ready to commit suicide. Now we know historically that if he had not have done so and the prisoners would have escaped and there wouldn't have been the intervening of Paul and Silas that there would have been great repercussions for this man. But that point aside, 
This man was desperate to go back to a place where he may have secured himself a place of safety. Or think about David all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We won't take the time to read all of chapter 12, but I would encourage you to do so on your own time. But this is, of course, where David had sinned in the previous chapter. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and in chapter 12 tells him, you are the one who's involved in the sin. You're the one that I'm talking about here. In verse 13, David admitted and said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, there's a consequence. Now notice what happens in the next few verses as we think about people who are desperate, who maybe want to go back and fix the mistakes of their past. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and the child became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And notice how David reacts to the sick child. He says he fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And then notice the next two verses. The elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. And on the seventh day, a full week has almost passed, it came to pass that the child died and the servants were afraid to tell David that the child was dead. And the reason is they said, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. I don't think they're concerned about necessarily him doing harm to others. I think they're concerned about David doing harm to himself because David is desperate. The Philippian jailer was desperate. And thirdly, Elijah was desperate. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 19. This is one of my favorite passages to take someone to who is going through some sort of a difficulty in his life. Maybe someone who's ready to give up on their spiritual life or perhaps someone who's ready to give up on their physical life. It happens in chapter 19, verse 1, where it says that Ahab told Jezebel. We know who Jezebel is. We know who King Ahab is. These are wicked uh, individuals who are causing all kinds of problems for God's servant, the prophet Elijah. And Jezebel, it says, all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And when this news came to Jezebel, she sent a messenger to Elijah, verse 2, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by tomorrow at about this time. Now how would you feel if someone in power threatened you this way? Well, you'd probably feel desperate. You may feel a little bit afraid or a lot afraid. And that's exactly what happened to Elijah. Here is this great hero of faith, Elijah. And what does he do in verse 3? When he saw that or he heard that message, he arose and he ran for his life. 
I've always found that amazing that this great hero of God, rather than saying, you come at me, Ahab and Jezebel, God will protect me. But rather he says, I am scared for my life. He runs to Beersheba and he left his servant there. And then the attitude that he had in verse 4 is expressed this way. He went himself a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die, saying, Lord, it is enough. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Did you notice what I noticed in all three of those instances? The Philippian jailer in Acts 16. David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 is that these are men who end up pleasing God and who are recorded as great servants of God, particularly David and Elijah. David is called a man after God's own heart and Elijah is the dean of the prophets we sometimes say. But yet these three men are so desperate over their past or over the distress of their present that they are ready to end their lives or at least to ask God to end their lives for them. You may be distressed today. You may be thinking, I'd rather no longer live. There are individuals that you and I come in contact with who are so desperate because their lives are so messed up or because their regrets are so great that that's the attitude that they have. These men of old, whether you call it mental struggles or depression, really suffered. But God saw them through it. And the message that God gave them was simple. Don't go back to the past. Go to the future. Why is going back such a bad thing? Well, let me suggest here before we close three reasons why going back is a bad idea. Number one, going back is unnecessary. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, we are told that we are justified and it leads to peace. In Philippians chapter 4, we are told that it is a peace that passes all understanding. And according to what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, when God forgives us, He really forgives us. The forgiveness that God provides for us is absolute and is different from the kind of forgiveness that the world would otherwise provide. You know, when someone forgives us, they forgive it, but they kind of tuck it in their pocket in the event that they might need to use that as on a future occasion to accuse you of wrongdoing yet again. But God takes the wrong that we have done in our lives and he rips it up, throws it away, and the Bible says he remembers them no more. So going back is unnecessary. Let me suggest, secondly, that going back is unfair. It is unfair in the sense that, to borrow from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, we have experienced real godly repentance. God wants us to be happy in a fulfilled spiritual way. In fact, all of the Beatitudes is the idea of having a more fortunate life. Blessed are those, blessed are those. Jesus makes that statement a number of different times in Matthew chapter 5 and the first dozen verses. But God wants us to be happy in a fulfilled way. 
But it is a happiness that sometimes produces sadness because of the affairs of the world around us. And the fact of the matter is, is Paul, in writing in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8, says that we all have regrets, but with God being for us, who can be against us? And let me suggest thirdly that going back is a problem or is a unfair, unnecessary thing because going back is unproductive. It keeps us from producing. Have you ever, ever thought about all the things that God has asked us to do as his servants? He said famously to Peter, and for that matter, the other apostles, and for that matter, to us in a way, in John chapter 21, go and feed my sheep or tend to my sheep. Now granted, there's something to be said about that message to Peter with his betrayal and his denial of Jesus just days earlier. There's something to be said about the role that Peter was going to play as being an early pastor in the Lord's church. But the same is true for us in that we are to feed one another. We are to help one another. That requires productivity. In Matthew chapter 28, we are told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. And that we are to share that gospel message with others. So we're supposed to feed the sheep. We're supposed to go and preach. In Galatians chapter 6, we are told that we are to do good unto all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In James chapter 1, we are told to visit the orphans and widows, that that's what true, unspotted uh, living is like and what real religion is all about. And we could go on and on and on with all the things that we are to produce. In fact, when Jesus comes across plants or trees in the New Testament that are not producing, do you remember what he does to the fig tree that doesn't produce? The gospel writers share with us that he cursed the tree and it died. And the message that he delivered to those early disciples in response to why did you do that is because they were not producing. They were not doing what God had asked them to do. So what is it for us to do? Let us, knowing that going back is unnecessary, and unfair, and unproductive, what is it that we should do? Well, let me suggest to you four things that we can do that I think will help us to no longer go back, to no longer think about the past, but instead to envision for the future. Number one is to pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says that we are to pray without ceasing. And not only should we be individuals who are prayerful on our own, but let me suggest that we seek our brethren's help in praying for us. The fact is, is we cannot do it by ourselves. And there is no shame in asking for prayers of brothers and sisters who care for us, who will pray for us during a difficult time. Secondly, seek good counsel. In Proverbs chapter 11, the wise man Solomon talks about the help that can come from others. And he says in verse 14, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now the caveat there is that the multitude of counselors needs to include godly men and women people who can really help, 
in a spiritual way. But you and I need each other, just as we need each other to be praying for one another, we also need one another to be helping and providing counsel to one another. Let me suggest, thirdly, that we rely on Scripture. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against thee, the old-time writer said. Maybe that comes to reading Scripture. Maybe it comes to memorizing Scripture. I, I would encourage you to have three or four kind of go-to passages that you are so familiar with that you are able to uh, draw them into your memory, from your memory, and then repeat them. One of my favorite passages is Philippians chapter 3, which we focused on this morning, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. We also should appreciate passages. One of my favorites is in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul writes that God is able to do those things above and beyond what we would think or consider possible. And so familiarize yourself with scriptures and with key passages that will help you. And fourthly, be able to sing. Now you may say, wait a minute now, I can't sing. Well, I'm not talking about the ability to sing. I'm talking about the heart to sing. Not only when we come together on occasions like the Lord's Day, but sing to yourself. There's no harm that comes from having those positive thoughts in your head. Sing to me of heaven. I come to the garden alone. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Take my hand, precious Lord. Jesus loves me when we all get to heaven. If you put those words in your mind, it will help you to be more formidable in facing the enemies. Not only the enemies without, but the enemies within. Because so much of what we have talked about today is dealing with our past regrets and feeling down and out about the state of our lives today. And that's something that, especially during a difficult time like right now, we need to be men and women of faith who are looking out for those who are the most vulnerable. And when we find those individuals who are struggling, whether it be those who are not Christians, we want to teach them about Christianity, or whether it be our brothers and sisters who are struggling, we are there to help. I quoted from Galatians chapter 6, and I want to close with that passage which says, that indeed we are to be about the business of doing good unto others and not grow weary in doing well, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. You and I as Christians, if you're watching today and you are a Christian, we have a special relationship with each other. One that causes us to care about each other, to love each other, and to be willing to sacrifice for each other. And that's what we at the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ are about because we are a church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And because we have been purified and cleansed by his blood, we can have forgiveness of sins and we can no longer have the necessity of looking back. If you're looking back this morning, might I suggest that you look forward to the future. Might I suggest that you think about making a change for the better?
And if you are not a Christian, then you are without hope. And if you miss heaven, you miss all that there really is that really matters. But the fact is, is we are here to assist you. We'll baptize you today. Just let us know how we can help. And if we can strengthen you, if there's something that we can pray with you about or study with you, go to our website, godsredeemed.org, contact us and let us know how we can help. Thanks so much for watching and for your interest in the Lord's work at Northfield Boulevard.